Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, for worship and for the study of God's word this morning. Uh, I hope you had a great 4th of July. And however you celebrated, I know it was probably different than, it, than you normally would celebrate. Um, you know, this pandemic, it, it has affected everything, hasn't it? Our jobs, our schools, uh, the way we worship, how we celebrate, all of these things have been turned upside down. And there's clearly an emotional weight to all of this, to these changes and to the restrictions and to being uh, forced to do things that we're not used to doing. The other day I went to, to get my hair cut. And, uh, you know, I know I don't have that much to cut, but I, I get it cut anyway. And uh, I went to see my barber for the first time in like four months. And, and I go into the shop, I sit down in the chair, and I ask him how business is. And for the next five minutes or so, he laments. He's visibly sad. He shares how his customers haven't come back and how the media is scaring people and how the pandemic is just absolutely killing his business. Um, and, I, you know, and I feel bad for him. I, I don't know what to say. One of the most obvious ways our lives have changed is how we've been confined to our homes, right? And this is, this is probably where you're watching this from. Normally, we'd be here at the church. We'd be uh, enjoying each other's presence, and we would study the word together. Um, but instead, we're, we're forced to watch from home. And since we're not able to go out and do the things we're used to, our social circles have gotten smaller and smaller, right? We network less with people. And more emphasis has been placed, I think, on our families and those we live with. Now, depending on your situation, like who you live with or how close you are to your families, this sheltering could be a, a really good thing. It could be helpful for our relationship and prioritizing our families. Or it could be a really difficult time. And with the, the recent rise in infection rates that we've seen lately, um, I think more sheltering and quarantine is probably in our future. <clears throat> in today's passage, in the scripture we're going to look at today, Jesus tells a story about a family, a father and his two sons. And in this story, we get a window, a look into the life of this little family. And we see their relationships and we get a feel for how uh, they care or don't care for one another. And Jesus relates this story, this parable, to how great God's love is for you and me. And how he invites us into his family. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And Bill Acosta will read our passage this morning. Good morning. My name is Bill Acosta and I attend... West Covina Christian Church. Today I'm going to be sharing with you the parable of the lost son, which is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued and he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had 
and set out for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had uh, spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never dis disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But he had to we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Have a great day and have a safe week. Thank you, Bill. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Um, each, uh, each of us, Lord, have, um, uh, we come to you from different places. And uh, Lord, we ask, though, that as we come before you in worship and in study of your word, Lord, that you would minister to each of us wherever we're at. And I pray, Lord, that this word, um, this message would, uh, would speak to our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would move in us and teach us what you want us to know. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it's timeless, how it's reliable, how it's uh, faithful. And we, we just pray, Lord, that you would instill it in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as Jesus opens the story, we see a scene that's played out over and over and over in many homes, in many generations over the years. A grown child 
You know, in this case, a younger son feels he will be happier, right, if he can get a share of the family's estate or the family's savings, and he can take his portion, and he can go off and live life on his own terms. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly why he wants to leave. <clears throat> you know, maybe he doesn't want to abide by the, the father's rules anymore. He doesn't want to live under his roof. Maybe he's tired of working on the farm. Maybe he's had enough of his older brother bossing him around. You know, whatever it is, he wants out. And who, who hasn't heard of a story like this or seen it occur in real life? You know, my experience is, is, not, that, is not that wide and great, my life experience, um, but I've seen this in, in my own family. And, uh, and, and you may have too. Someone you know. See, the younger son is disillusioned by life at home. And he believes that the grass will be greener someplace else, any place else. And so even though he's the younger son and his father is still alive, he demands his share of the inheritance. And what he's basically saying to his father and his brother is, I want nothing more to do with you. I am leaving and I could care less what happens to you, what happens to the farm. It doesn't matter to me. That's that's, that's what he's saying here when he asks for his share of the inheritance. And so I am sure it's with a heavy heart that the father gives the younger son what he asks for. And he literally and figuratively lets him go. <clears throat> you see, this breaking of relationship that's taking place by the younger son with his father is what it looks like when we sin. When we sin, we choose to break relationship with the Lord. We say to God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you anymore. I don't have faith in you. And it breaks God's heart. See, church, sin, sin is a theological issue, not merely a moral issue. And what I mean by that is that sin, sin is an expression of our belief about God, who we think he is, and whether we think he's good or true or faithful. And it's not just about our behavior. See, this is, this is what sin is. It has to do with this relationship we have with God and our trust in him. See, the sin with the younger son does not just begin with his wild living. It begins with the breaking of a relationship with his father. And we see the same thing with Adam and Eve if we go back to the original sin and the fall in Genesis 3. We see that before they eat of the fruit, the serpent causes Adam and Eve to question God's word and to question his intentions and why they can't eat from that tree. So this will come up again and again. We see this this breaking of relationship, and this uh, sin. And this will come up again when we look at the older brother in the story. In verse 13 of our passage, it says that the younger, set off, the younger son set off for a distant country. <clears throat> he wanted to get as far away as possible. And so maybe he leaves Southern California, 
He leaves West Covina, and he goes and he moves and takes his stuff and goes to Amsterdam, you know, or Bangkok, right? And it says there he squandered, he squandered his wealth in wild living. So whatever you can imagine a wild young man does who has a lot of money, right? Whatever that young man does in, in a place like Bangkok, okay, he probably did it. He lived for himself. He lived for the moment. He lived for today, and he didn't think about tomorrow. But like it always does, tomorrow came. And eventually he found himself alone and desperate. For it says in verse 16, he was hungry, but no one gave him anything. And see, he had completely mucked up his life, right? He had made a mess of his life. <clears throat> but before, before we cast judgment on how immature or how foolish he was, I think we need to examine ourselves first. If we look back at the beginning of, chap, uh, of the chapter, chapter 15, we see Jesus explains why he's telling the story in the first place. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. <clears throat> See, we, you and me, who know Jesus, we have come to him because we're messed up too, right? Right? We're more like the tax collectors and sinners than we think. And like the younger son, when we return to the passage, like the younger son, we have done shameful things in our past, things we don't want anyone else to know about. We have treated others with contempt. And we have hurt others, probably those in our own families. And we have lived selfish lives. And we know that it's only by the grace of God that we are here today and that we're looking at God's word, and we're within his presence. See, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7.24, he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this sinful body that is subject to death? <clears throat> so the young man, at his lowest point, he is scraping the bottom of the barrel, right? At his lowest point, he musters the courage to go back home and to beg his father to make him what? To make him a hired servant. Not a son, not a return to a son or an heir, but a hired servant. Now this must have been extremely difficult for him. Yes, he was hungry. Yes, he was desperate. Okay. But you can imagine how humbling it would be to return home broken and desperate, right? And, and he's not, there's no fooling anyone at this point. There's no pretending like, hey, everything's fine, right? He is, he is broken. And he goes home and he, he wants to ask for forgiveness and, and he doesn't know how his father will react, right? And, and that's sometimes the biggest concern. We don't know how the other party will, will react to us. And sadly, I think we know that some people, some people never return home 
they will never come back because of that. And they they think the relationship is too far gone to be saved. Now I recognize, I recognize that some of you may not have had or don't have a good relationship with your father. Your father may have mistreated you or he wasn't there for you physically or emotionally. And this story that we're looking at today may not have any resemblance to your earthly father. And I get why you can't relate to it. But I want you to know that God, God understands. He understands your situation. He understands where you've come from. And my prayer is that you will be open to God's love for you as it's described here in the passage by Jesus himself. And that you will see what the heavenly father is truly like. See, I think verses 20 to 24 in this passage are some of the most beautiful in Scripture. In verse 20, it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So one of the questions here is, how does the father see his son coming from such a long way off? Well, it could be luck, right, that he just happens to be looking in that direction at the exact time that his son appears around the corner. But more likely, more likely it stands to reason that the father has always been keeping an eye out for his son's return. He's always kept one eye on the road in hopes that his son will come back. He kept his hope, his vigilance, and I imagine that he never stopped praying for him. And once he saw him, the father does what no respectable Jewish man would do. He runs. Okay, he runs to greet his son. This was totally inappropriate, totally undignified for a man of his standing. <clears throat> but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter what he looks like to others, what he looks like to the servants. He is filled, so filled with love and compassion that he runs for his son who was lost but has now returned. And the son begins to apologize to his father, right? And, and you know the story, but it doesn't matter. The father just seems to ignore his apology. Maybe the father already knows what the son is going to say. And so he's just past it. He's already gone past that. He embraces him and he receives, receives him back fully. The robe, the ring, the sandals, and the celebration mentioned in verses 22 and 23 are all symbols. They're all symbols of the young man's return to sonship. See, sonship is about identity. God wants to know, God wants us to know that we are his sons and daughters. And he wants us to live being secure in that fact, never again wondering who we are. And the saying that applies here is, we know who we are because we know whose we are. Now, obviously, the father in this story represents God. So let's talk for a moment about what Jesus is saying about God. 
First, God will not force anyone to stay with him if they don't want to. Now that's a hard truth. Like the father in the story, it breaks his heart, but he will let someone go if they demand it. He gives us that freedom of choice. But on the flip side, however, God is always looking out. He is always looking out for anyone who would come to him or return to him. John 6.37 says, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He will not cast us out if we return, if we come to him. And thirdly, God is not looking for hired servants. He's, just not, he's not just looking for someone to do his bidding. God is looking for sons and daughters. He wants to adopt you, and he wants to embrace you into his family. <clears throat> now here's a question I think Bible scholars are divided on from this passage. Does the younger son repent? Is he repentant? People say, oh, he needs to repent in order for God to fully forgive him. Well, I think it's hard to say because only time can tell. Genuine repentance is a process, not a spontaneous action or a one-time thing. But what we see here is that a turn has been made. A turn back back to the Father has been made. And one of the best descriptions I've heard for repentance is that repentance is getting back in the story. I love this definition of repentance. See, when the younger son broke relationship with the father, he said, I don't want to be a part of your life anymore. But when he returned, the father restored him to sonship and he got back into the story. See, God is doing a work carrying out his mission of love, reconciliation, and renewal throughout history and throughout mankind. And at times, we have broken relationship with him, and we have opted out, haven't we? We have pushed him away. But when we repent, we say, God, I want back in. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. I want back into your story. And like the father here in the story, God would receive you back in a heartbeat. So everything seems right, right? The younger son comes back. He's restored to the family. Uh, The fattened calf has been killed and the party is on. Until, Until the older son enters the scene, right? We see that he comes from working in the field And he hears the music and dancing and he asks, what's happening? And he finds out that his younger brother has returned home. And boy, is he angry. He's not angry that the party has started without him. He's angry that anyone should celebrate his brother's return. Because in his mind, the younger brother is the worst of sinners. Right? He has messed the family up. He has taken the inheritance. He has... Um, hurt the family's reputation. And he doesn't deserve to be received back, at least not so easily. And do you see how this relates back to the beginning of the chapter where the Pharisees complain 
that Jesus invites tax collectors and sinners to be with him. See, the older brother then, he refuses to go inside. So the father comes outside, and again, something the father wouldn't normally do um, is that he comes outside and he begs of his son to come in. And we learn that the son is not only upset about the return of his younger brother, but he resents the father. We see this in his words, and he thinks love is something you earn. And it can't just... Uh, it can't just be given to you. Love can't just be given back to the younger son. The older brother thinks, you got a slave for it. In verse 29, he says, look to the father, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. <clears throat> What's sad is that by his words, we can see that though he stayed home and though he worked on the farm, he really didn't understand the father's love for him and what it means to be a son. He didn't trust his father. And while the younger son was lost in his badness, we'll say, his shameful acts and his wild living, the older brother was lost in his goodness. Though he never went rogue, he never abandoned the family, he never realized that his, his sin was a lack of trust and faith in the Father. And I, I wonder if this could be you, if it could be me. Going through the motions, but not realizing God's love and compassion is not earned. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 <clears throat> says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And to the end of the story, we see that the father continues to invite the older son into the party. See, I don't know how you view God, whether you believe he is good and true and faithful both sons in this story were lost. Both effectively broke relationship with the father. And the father, he receives one back and he invites the other in. See, he wants both to come inside and join the celebration. But in the end, it's the younger son, the one who defiantly left home, the one who went to live a carnal lifestyle, it's him that came to his senses and returns. He's the one who recognizes and then experiences the Father's great love. This is a story of salvation. This is a parable of salvation and God's love. God receiving us, the wayward sinner, back into relationship with him. And as we prepare our hearts for communion now, the thought I want to impress, impress to you from this passage is that God's love is extreme. God's love is extreme. It shows no shame, and in many ways, it makes no sense to us. Why would the father welcome his son back, his son who disrespected him, who left him for dead, who squandered his inheritance? 
Why would he, a man of his stature, run to embrace him with open arms and eagerly restore him to sonship? So you ask what God's love is like? This is a picture. This is a picture of what God's love is like played out in this small family. And if you have never experienced God's extreme love or have never received Jesus Christ into your life as Lord and Savior, um, then I want you to contact me. Contact me at the church or through the church's website. So I would love to talk to you about these things. So we're going to move now into our time of communion.